Good morning. We welcome you to worship today. Would you join me as we remember those who have given their lives in service to our country today? Would you stand, please, as we sing? Philadelphia, 1776. 56 men stood together in a place called Independence Hall and put their lives on the line for their freedom we now enjoy. They did not load their muskets, however, and they did not draw their swords. Instead, they raised their pens, each signing his name to a declaration that said, in part, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This new country would be called America. each man signed his name to the declaration, he knew that it was essentially an act of treason. Each was fully aware that he would likely be executed for signing his name to such a decree. But that did not deter even one of them. Instead, they stood together and said, for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. of others have joined with our forefathers to ensure our peace. They too have put their lives on the line to fight to keep our freedom. We remember and honor them today. But there is no doubt that God's hand, His divine providence, has truly kept us free. It is His hand that has blessed us so abundantly. In times of war, He has granted us courage to stand up to our enemies. In times of want, he has given us resilient spirits to carry on, and in times of prosperity, he has revealed his power through us. My eyes have seen the glory of 
In the lower left-hand corner of the original Declaration of Independence, there is a handprint. No one knows where it came from or who put it there. Some imagine it to be the hands of the many men and women who have served our country through the years. And yet some would like to believe that it is a symbol of God's hand that has blessed us, protected us, and guided us through generation after generation. So let us praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let us follow his sure and steady hand. Let us reach out to him in all things and for always. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for coming here today. Uh, we're so excited to be here. Uh, thank y'all for tuning in. Those who are tuning in online, we're excited that you're tuning in with us this morning. Thank y'all for doing that. And if you are a first-time guest, we are especially glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, in fact, the, the only thing we ask that you do is to pull out on, in your bulletin board the connection card to fill it out, and when the offering plate gets to you later in the service, that you would just place it in there. Um, and we would also like to invite you at the end of this service to come to the front foyer and to shake hands with Pastor Stewart. And as just a way of saying thank you, we'd uh, love to give you this gift, this book uh, by, written by Pastor Stewart, The Privilege of Worship. It's just a, a small way to say thank you for, for visiting and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, today is a special day uh, as we celebrate how God has blessed us with freedom uh, through the many sacrifices of, of men and women. Um, but today is, a, is another special day for me personally, for my family personally, because it is my beautiful wife's birthday today. And so uh, we're excited about that as well. God is, is so good, and he continues to bless us. So let's worship him today. Praise the King. Amen. Let's stand and worship our Creator today. Praise the King. Thank you. 
praise the King today. You may be seated. We are certainly glad that the King is alive today, and we rejoice in that fact. God leads us along through all the different parts of life, no matter it's, whether it's a good time or a challenging time, whether it's peacetime or wartime. God is with us, and we can continue to move forward because He is King. And we want to have a special time of prayer this morning, just focusing in on the Lord and to give thanks for the lives that have been given in service of our country. Thanks to the families who have uh, offered their sons and daughters so that we might have the freedoms that we have today. And so if you're on the ground floor, I'd ask you to just pull that kneeler down in front of you and join me in kneeling in prayer. And those of you in the balcony can just remain where you are. But we want to seek the Lord today and to ask Him to just bless uh, these families and these memories of folks. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you with much gratitude this morning. Lord, as, as we have sung these songs of patriotism, as we've sung this song of worship, we are reminded that you are the true and reigning king, that you have defeated death forever, and we are so grateful for that. We know, Lord, that we win the victory in the end. We know that death has been defeated, that Satan has been conquered, and so, Lord, we stand in victory. But in this meantime, between now and the time when you return again, there are still all kinds of battles taking place. And there is evil in the world, and there is conflict, and there is hatred, and there is war, and there is rage. And so, Lord, we know that there are conflicts that take place there where for the cause of freedom and justice, wars are fought. And, Lord, in those wars, men and women give of their lives sacrificially. And so, Lord, we're grateful for those people who've done that. Lord, throughout the, the generations, especially of our nation, we're grateful for those people, and we're grateful for their families, many who give up a very young son or daughter only to have them lost in war, children who have given up their parents. And, Lord, the, the heartache is always there. So, Lord, today we especially pray for those family members, parents, spouses, children, of those who have died in recent conflicts, where the family members are still living today and still dealing with that heartache every single day in the memories of the loss. Lord, we pray your blessings upon them. We pray you'd encourage them with your sweet, precious presence and that you would lift them up today. God, as we continue out through this service, we focus our attention on you and how wonderful you are and how powerful you are and how you have commissioned us because you are alive to spread the gospel throughout the world. And so, Lord, help us to be motivated in that. May we be soldiers and ambassadors for you, courageous, taking the gospel where others have never gone. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today. We give you great praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist says, I will extol the Lord enthusiastically. I will praise the Lord at all times. May we do that today. How can I keep from singing his praises today? Let's stand and worship him. Praise him. Praise him.
Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, hear my prayer this morning and take it to the Father. And if it be the Father's will, let it be answered. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for all you do. You alone are worthy. You alone are holy. And you alone are worthy of all our love and praise. Thank you for your many blessings, especially the blessing of my church, the blessing of our church family, and of my immediate family. I ask you, Lord, now to send the Holy Spirit to, teach, to touch every one of us here with the spirit of generosity. We need an increase in our tithes, our offerings, and our gifts so as to meet our uh, church needs and to further your kingdom. For it is, it is in Jesus' most holy name I pray. Amen.
Memorial Day is advertised as a time for beach getaways and sales and barbecue and home improvement projects and all that kind of stuff. But it has far more significance than that. Memorial Day originated in the aftermath of the Civil War and it was originally called Decoration Day for a time for families to go to Civil War cemeteries and place flowers on the graves of fallen soldiers both in the North and in the South. And in the 20th century and since, the focus of Memorial Day broadened to honor all American soldiers who have died while in military service. And the purpose of the holiday ever since is to honor the freely given sacrifices of the soldiers for the good of our nation. And we're grateful for all of those who have given their lives for the causes of liberty and freedom. And as we honor our fallen sons and daughters this Memorial Day, we should also remember another group of brave men and women who have given their lives in a great war. In fact, we might call it the great war. It's a war where the weapons are not those of this world. It's a war where soldiers wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. Yet the soldiers of this war often are faced and forced to fight with flesh and blood and to give of their lives. It's the great war, and its soldiers are the martyrs of Christianity. Just as we can look back through the nearly 250 years of our nation's history at the more than one million men and women who have given their lives for our nation, so we can look back through 2,000 years of church history at the 70 million plus believers who have been martyred for their faith. And that martyr today is still rising. A 2016 study revealed that nearly one million Christians were martyred for their faith between the years 2006 and 2016. These Christian martyrs should be remembered as heroes for their following a long line of believers who have paid the ultimate price for the cause of Christ. When I was a teenager, youth camp pastors, it seemed like every summer, would ask the question, if someone would, were to hold a gun to your head and say, recant your faith or die, would you recant your faith? And I can remember thinking, well, I suppose I would, but I doubt I'll ever face that challenge. But the crazier the world gets, the more I wonder if that day will come. For millions of Christians throughout the last 2,000 years and millions more today who live under persecution and in the face of death, that day is here. And each time you walk into this room, you're actually reminded of them because you're reminded of the very first ones of them. Because here above our platform, you'll see 12 plaques. And a lot of times people will walk in and they'll look at and wonder what those plaques stand for and they'll guess two different things. Either it's the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 apostles. And uh, neither of those are totally correct. Uh, the plaques actually represent 12 individuals who were instrumental in the life of the early church. Ten do stand for 10 of the original apostles. The other two represent the apostle Paul and John the Baptist. Uh, two of the apostles, James the Lesser and then uh, Jude, also known as Thaddeus, are not represented in the plaques. And we're really not sure why those two were left out when the church was built in 1958. But we assume it's because there was only room for 12 plaques. And they wanted to have John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul up there. <laughs> but we also think there may have been some, some of the um, symbols were kind of similar. And so they just went with ones that were more distinctive. But each plaque memorializes a man who gave his all in the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of these men were persecuted for their faith, and all but one faced martyrdom. And just as the stories of the great heroic soldiers motivate us to press on and be courageous in our patriotism, so the stories of these men motivate us to press on and be courageous in living out our faith for Jesus Christ. 
And just as this static display of the American soldier who has fallen reminds us of the sacrifice that has been given for the cause of our nation, so these plaques remind us of the sacrifice that has been given, not just by 12 individuals, but by millions throughout time for the cause of faith. And they encourage all of us to press on in faith. Hebrews 11 is what we often call the roll call of the faithful And the chapter journeys through the Old Testament demonstrating the faith of the ancients. And the people uh, listed in Hebrews 11, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and so forth, they were witnesses to the hope of the Old Testament. And the writer tells us that they were sure of what they hoped for and certain of what they did not see. And then as you read on down, you come to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 and 38. And I want you to turn there because I want you to read that this morning. We're not going to exegete a passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to walk through the lives of these heroes. But I want you to just see the kind of things these people endured. The book of Hebrews was probably written somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. So about 30 to 40 years after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. And though the writer of Hebrews draws upon examples of faithful people who lived in the Old Testament, his words gave great hope to those people living in the first century who were facing persecution for their faith. In fact, at the time that the writer of Hebrews wrote this, most of the apostles had already been martyred for their faith. And so consider how the faithful died as this writer says in Hebrews 11, 36 and following, some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. The point of Hebrews 11 is not merely to commend a bunch of people. The point of Hebrews 11 is to encourage those who read Hebrews 11, you and me and all of Christians living today and who will ever live and those who've lived since the time the the author penned this, for all of us to not lose heart. For all of us to not give up hope when times get hard. To allow faith not to falter. To stand strong through it all. For it has been said that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And when you claim the name of Jesus Christ... And you step over that line to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You can know that you stand in a faith that has been tested. For 2,000 years, men and women like you and like me who have believed in God so much that they were willing to die for their faith. And so therefore, as chapter 11 transitions to chapter 12, we read that great passage that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author of Hebrews is saying, look around you. All of these have gone before you. They have been witnesses to the truth of the faith. Don't let things drag you down. Throw off that stuff. Put down that sin that so easily entangles and run. Run with perseverance the race that is marked out for you and fix your eyes on the end prize, the finish line of Jesus Christ. The cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 and 12 is limited to the Old Testament. But since the author wrote those words, 2,000 years have passed. Some 70 million Christians and hundreds of millions of other believers have gone to glory now and stand around us. 70 million who were martyred 
millions more who just simply died of natural deaths. And they now stand around us, encouraging us to press on and move forward. This morning, I want us to consider these first 12 or so. These witnesses who are represented in these plaques above this platform, and may their testimonies inspire you to greatness in your faith, just as our fallen soldiers often inspire us to greater patriotism. Beginning from your left, Simon Peter. By faith, Simon Peter stood before the crowd assembled there on the day of Pentecost when he had been a guy who stumbled over his words and put his foot in his mouth for many times. But after the resurrection and after the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness and reinstatement by Jesus, Peter stood before that group on the day of Pentecost and he proclaimed, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the people on that day were cut to the heart and that day 3,000 people were saved. The patriarchal cross and the keys are the symbol for Peter. Jesus had prophesied in John 21 verse 18 that Peter would be crucified. And tradition states that Peter was indeed crucified. But when it came time for him to be crucified in Rome, he asked that he would be crucified upside down because he didn't feel it was worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Savior had died. So we have the cross as a symbol. The symbol of the keys comes from Matthew 16, 19, where upon Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The next plaque represents James. And by faith, James, one of the sons of Zebedee, known as James the Greater, accepted the call of Jesus to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. James was the brother of John. The two were nicknamed the sons of thunder. And on one particular occasion, Jesus asked the young men, are you able to drink of my cup? And thinking that they were going to be able to get prominent positions among the apostles, they said, oh, yes, we will indeed drink of your cup. And Jesus said, you're very right. But the cup that Jesus was talking about was the cup of death for the faith. His words were prophetic. In fact, James has the distinction of being the very first apostolic martyr. He was the first of the apostles to die. And his brother John was the last. And so the sons of Zebedee serve as bookends for the apostolic martyrdom period. Tradition has it that James preached as far away as Spain. And therefore the three shells on his plaque are symbolic of his pilgrimage by sea. And James was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. The story is told for us in Acts 12 verse 2. And so his is the only apostolic death that is recorded for us in the New Testament. By faith, James' brother John who is the next plaque, authored five books of the Bible, the Gospel of John, the three little letters of John, and the Revelation. John's symbol is a scroll which represents the Gospel of John. Now, while John was the last apostle to die, he did so quietly in the city of Ephesus while leading the church there. But he too endured persecution and almost was martyred. Tradition tells us that there came a point where he was going to be boiled alive in oil. But somehow he miraculously escaped. Of course, we know that he was exiled to the island of Patmos, a Roman penal colony. It was not a good place to be done. In fact, being sentenced to go to Patmos was basically a death sentence. But through the providence of God, it didn't become a death sentence, but a life sentence. Because John wrote there the wonderful book of Revelation. God works in wonderful ways even through our difficult times. By faith, Andrew, represented by St. Andrew's cross, overlaid by the fisherman's hook, was the first apostle to follow Jesus. You remember the story when Jesus went to the sea shore? Aaron, I mean, Andrew comes, then he goes and gets his brother Peter to follow Jesus, and Andrew thus becomes the very first evangelist or missionary. 
Andrew, though, is seldom mentioned in the rest of the Gospels. He's not a prominent figure, but he is a constant presence. And his few comments spotlight that he was always aware of what was going on and looking for ways to be helpful. For example, in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, it was Andrew who offers the suggestion that he has found this boy that has five loaves and two fish. It wasn't much, but it was something. Andrew continued with his love of bringing people to Jesus. And Andrew's missionary travels likely ended up on the Greek peninsula. And among his converts was the wife of a high Roman official who was so angry at his wife's conversion to Christianity that he threatened Andrew with death by crucifixion if he would not recant his faith. Of course, Andrew did not recant his faith. And so he was tied to an X-shaped cross to die a slow and painful death. And as he hung there, he continued preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. By faith, Philip followed Jesus and then found his friend Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew, and introduced him to Jesus. And the two became disciples, part of the very first six. And a basket and a cross in the form of the Greek letter Ta, or our T, are the symbols of Philip. The bread basket is derived from John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 because Philip was the one who made the estimate that it would cost far too much to feed this vast amount of people. But that statement set the stage for Jesus' miracle because Philip had made the practical observation that there was no, not enough money to take care of this, but Jesus provided then miraculously. Peter's practicality heightened the miraculous and remind us that often circumstances that look or even are impossible are not impossible for God. Tradition says Philip was a missionary to the area we now know as France. And he has also been linked to western Turkey. In fact, the city of Heriopolis in western Turkey uh, includes the remains of many ancient churches. Philip may have paid for his life to sustain the church. Tradition holds that he too was crucified, but on a tall-shaped cross. By faith, Bartholomew ministered the gospel until, as tradition holds, he was skinned alive in either India or Armenia. And thus, the symbol is the flaying knife or the Bible. When Bartholomew first met Jesus, remember, he wondered if anything good could come from Nazareth. And Jesus greeted Bartholomew with a a penetrating kind of statement. And suddenly, Bartholomew felt completely known. And Jesus was so perceptive and seemed to know so much more than the average man. So Bartholomew began following Jesus. The apostolic career of Bartholomew is linked with the apostle Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, the one also known as Thaddeus, who's not represented. And this may be a reason he's not represented because his and Bartholomew's ministries are so closely linked. But under Bartholomew's influence, the gospel apparently penetrated every facet of Armenian um, Life except the stronghold of the local pagan religious leaders. Many Armenians came to Christ. The church grew by leaps and bounds, and the pagan priests got n- nervous. And so the pagan priests uh, conspired with the king's brother to protect their interests and their systems of belief. And underhanded maneuvers led to Bartholomew's arrest and torture, where he was skinned alive and then crucified. The seventh plague, plaque, represents one who was not one of the 12 apostles, but one who claimed to be an apostle afterwards, and that is the apostle Paul. By faith, you know that Paul journeyed through the known world, sharing the gospel. He led three missionary journeys, establishing and strengthening the early church. And in addition to his missionary journeys, Paul also produced almost half of the New Testament. And his passion to preach the gospel in Rome ultimately led him there, and he suffered martyrdom there. Tradition says that Paul probably was decapitated at the command of Nero. By faith, Thomas, represented in the eighth plaque, got over his doubt and lived the rest of his life as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Living out 
the wonderful statement he made when he saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, my Lord and my God. Paul, um, Thomas uh, is said to have constructed a church in India. And what's interesting about Thomas is we know as much or as, almost as much about him as we do for Peter and Paul in the extra biblical materials. But Thomas is said to have constructed a church in India by himself, and that's why one of the symbols is a carpenter square. But he was shot to death with arrows, perhaps stoned, and then a pagan priest ran a spear into him as he died. So thus the arrows and the spear along with his symbol. By faith, the next plaque represents Matthew, who authored the first of our gospel accounts. The three money bags remind us that Matthew was a tax collector, a past that Matthew never forgot, and it influenced much of the way that he shared in his gospel. It was at Matthew's house that Jesus was able to answer the question of his critics, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus was able to say, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not, called to, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance but those who are sinners. Matthew's greatest contribution to the faith is no doubt his gospel, which he wrote as a Jew to Jews, helping his fellow Jewish brethren to realize that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. Matthew's apostolic assignment was to Ethiopia in Africa. And according to tradition, Matthew was crucified there on a tall-shaped cross and then beheaded with a battle axe. By faith, Matthias, represented in the 10th plaque, served the Lord with all his heart. After Judas, the betrayer, committed suicide, the remaining disciples uh, decided that Matthias would replace him. Matthias had apparently been with the band almost from the beginning and having witnessed the resurrection himself. And as he is selected to replace Judas, Matthias is never mentioned again in the New Testament. But you know what? Most of the disciples aren't. And that's because they had a job to do. Jesus had given them a commission, and they went out and did it, as we've already heard, scattering throughout that known world. Traditional scenes of Matthias' labors were Judea and Ethiopia. And eventually, Matthias returned to Jerusalem, where he was stoned to death and then beheaded. Other traditions state he was hung on a cross, then stoned, then beheaded. They liked to make sure you were deader than dead in those days. The Bible symbolizes his calling and the large knife symbolizes his death. By faith, Simon, originally known as, as the Canaanite zealot, ministered in Persia. And all of the disciples had a story, but Simon had a past. A zealot in those days was somebody who was so fiercely loyal to Judaism that they would commit heinous acts of murder even against Rome in order to preserve Judaism. Today, we'd call them a terrorist. And... Simon represented angry and frustrated Jews who were willing to do anything to rid their nation of Rome. So his original motive for following Jesus may have been a little mixed. He may have thought that Jesus was the one who would overthrow the Romans. But in time, Simon was transformed to true faith in Jesus Christ. After the ascension of Jesus Christ, Simon crossed northern Africa and then went up through Spain and even into the islands we now know as Great Britain. And later, Simon did missionary work in the Middle East with Jude taking the gospel as far as Persia. It's amazing to do that much traveling in that period of time. Simon is symbolized by a long saw crossed by an oar and a battle axe. The oar represents his missionary work, all of that travel. The other symbols represent his martyrdom. According to tradition, he was beheaded and then sawn in two. In Persia, and typically that was sawn in two from top to bottom or bottom to top. The final plaque should probably be the first, and maybe if we ever renovate again, we'll reorganize these plaques. But it represents a man who wasn't an apostle, but who helped start it all and make the way for Jesus Christ, and that is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is represented by uh, the Lamb and the cross. Because John pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we know from Scripture, John the Baptist was beheaded at the order of Herod. 
By 70 AD, most of the original apostles were dead. The churches they had founded had passed on to other leadership. But the 40 or so years of labor launched a worldwide movement that quickly began spreading the globe. These men are rightly memorized, memorialized, for they certainly inspire our faith. The vibrancy of their faith can often, can often show the weakness of our own. When we're flipping of our faith, when we're irregular in our worship attendance, when we're unfaithful in our giving, when we fail to share our faith, when we're apathetic in our devotion, when we quiet down, when others speak up in error, we not only fall short of the glory of God, we fall far short of the example of these Christian witnesses. We need to rise up in devotion. We need to step up in commitment to move forward as ambassadors. We now must live as these people did in the first century because our century is not all that unlike their own. And we must be faithful. Each time you enter this worship center, look up and see these symbols. Be reminded of the faith of these men. Be reminded of how they gave their lives, the gruesome deaths that they died on for the sake of the gospel, and walk out of here committed as a servant of Jesus Christ. And may he inspire us. Some years ago, an anonymous poet wrote this wonderful declaration, and I pray that it would be ours today. This person wrote, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. For my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished with low living, cheap talking, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need prominence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, recognized, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience, uplifted by prayer. I labor with power. My faith is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. And my guide, reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, hideaway, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate with the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, let up, shut up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until I know, and work until he stops me. Then, when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me, for my banner will be clear. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful word of faith. These men's banner is clear. There's no question. But will your banner be clear? Would you commit today to be more committed than ever? Perhaps you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the faith of these men has inspired you to step over the line and to follow Jesus Christ. Then I encourage you to come today and to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior turning from your sin and turning to Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're already a believer, but your faith and your commitment's been kind of mediocre. You've been in that casual Christianity. You've just kind of been culturally Christian. Well, today, step up to the plate. No longer casual, no longer cultural, but committed and causal, pointed and focused on truly following the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you make that commitment today? And would you follow him with everything that you have? As we pray together, Lord, speak to our hearts. 
Holy Spirit, move in this room and touch us. Help us to follow you. Lord, when we're tempted to sit back and coast, make us step up. Lord, may we be battle strong in our faith. Lord, may we be soldiers and ambassadors for you. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May we answer the call to commitment. Lord, those that need to trust you today, may they step forward. Those that need to come to this altar and and seek you to be a a more dedicated and, and responsible follower of Jesus Christ, help them to come forward as well. We seek your face now. In Jesus' name, amen.